Well, this is the week many of you have long been waiting for. Nope. Nope. I'm talking about parents who've had to put up with their kids all summer. No, that's not what I... Did I say that? School starts this week, yes? So let's do this. I know that we have in our midst many teachers or staff or support personnel that work in our school systems, both the public and private that are around. So if you are here and you are connected, work, volunteer in our school system, would you stand up? Awesome. Thank you. I didn't say sit down. Don't get excited. Okay, you can sit down. No, <laughs> no you can sit down. It's okay. Those are, those are folks that, that, uh, that work with your children and just think you get them for the three months of the summer, they get them for the other nine. So we'll pray for these folks. Now let's do this. If you are here and you are a student in our school system, you need to stand up. Awesome. If you are here and you're a student and you can't wait till Wednesday for school to start, stay standing. <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought. Excellent. Nope, it is a great week. Now, I know that that, that changes the dynamic around your homes, many of them, uh, whether you're working there or, or have kids going. The, the, you have to set the alarm maybe a little earlier and get moving a little faster. That means for us, uh, we'll see more traffic on the road. So if we're out, we need to be aware of that in the school zones that are around. Um, it is, it is a, a, a cool thing that we have so many people in our church that, that work uh, in our school system. So pray for those folks. I hope you kind of made a note of a couple of them as you saw them standing. Maybe you already knew them because that's a huge responsibility that they have. And, and I don't envy you those things that week in and week out, day in and day out that you take upon yourself. So thank you again for your work with our kiddos. And keep it up, right? We'll remember you. We're going to finish up our, I guess you'd say finish up our series on worship. We've been talking about it for three or four weeks now, and, and I want to wrap it up today with something that will hopefully be helpful in this new school year. It should be helpful all the time, but a lot of times around the start of school, there's, there's a, a new energy, a new excitement. It's not quite January 1st, New Year resolutions and all, but there's something about getting back on that schedule and getting back in the routine with your kids and your family and, and the like that... This sort of makes a lot of people refocus and recommit to some things. And so, so hopefully today can talk about something that will help you in that process. As we've gone through this, this series about worship, we've, we've looked at it from a lot of different ways. And today I want to focus on some words of Jesus, which seems pretty important. They're found in Matthew chapter 6. If you brought your Bibles or if you want to grab one under the, the seats on the racks there, the words to most of the scriptures will be up on the screen as well. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus, in this chapter, these three chapters of the book of Matthew, we have the longest continuous snapshot of a sermon Jesus preached. Uh, and, and in that, he covers a lot of ground, a lot of territory, points out a lot of important things. In fact, um, what we just heard, you know, what we, what we think about when we think about prayer, about the the, the Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount. When we, when we think about many of the, 
the most popular sayings of Jesus, a lot of them come out of those few chapters in Matthew. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, beginning about verse 25. And our focus is going to be on verse 33. That's where we're going to spend most of our time, but we'll take some, a few minutes to get there. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Uh, Jesus says this as he's preaching. He starts with the word, therefore. Now, Whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, what have I told you? You should ask what the word therefore is. I like that. I, I wish I could come up with that sort of stuff, but I didn't. I borrowed it from a seminary professor. But whenever you see the word there, that means I'm saying this to you because it's connected to some of the things I've said before. There's, there's a progression here in his thought, and you would expect that. If this is a sermon, it's supposed to all tie together, and I won't go through all of that today and try to tie everything to the beginning and the middle and the end, but, but that particular word, therefore, connects to the, the verses just before it. And right before that, Jesus says something kind of crazy. He says, you cannot serve both God and money, or God and mammon or god and stuff we've talked about that before and so having said that he says therefore i tell you and this is the easiest thing jesus is going to ever ask you to do right do not worry about your life piece of cake why am i even preaching about this this is the most calm relaxed peaceful secure confident group i've ever seen nobody here worries right Okay, let's ask it this way. Does anybody here worry ever about anything in your life? Okay, good. So you can use this. Isn't this good news? What Jesus says in this sermon, you can use. Because he says, do not worry about your life. And then he gets kind of specific. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in our life where we'll be eating breakfast, and I'll look at Denise, and I'll say, so what's for dinner? Anybody else? I mean, I'm eating. A lot of times that means I got to go to the store and buy it. Sometimes that's why I need to ask so I can plan my day around. Is, what I'm really asking, is there anything in the house that we're going to cook tonight, or does somebody need to go, somebody need to go to the grocery to pick it up? But, but that's kind of odd that we would do that. I'm sure most of us have had that conversation maybe in our, in our homes more than once with our spouses or kids or whatever. And that's how we are. What, what we are. Now, some of you ladies, I've, I've, I've seen this happen. I won't say where. But I have seen females stand in front of closets that span a wall and utter these famous words. Have you heard this too? You have. Awesome. I don't have a thing to wear. I'm like, I got three things to wear. I just rotate them. How hard is this? Really, I mean, I think... Yeah, three is good. I, I think I have three pair of shoes. Well, four if I count my flip-flops, but it's the keys, so that's like the main course. But anyway, you know, just kind of three. We just rotate them. That's how it works. Uh, but, but, we think about it, but we think about that. And then Jesus says... Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? To which we would naturally say, well, yes, of course it's more important. We know that intrinsically, but we still get caught up in worrying about these things and thinking about them. He goes on in the next verse, in verse 26, and continues by saying, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Great 
observation. Jesus would often look around at the, the place he was. He lived in a, in, a, in a very agrarian society, so he often used those sorts of analogies. And this is, you know, nature just kind of comes to the forefront. He says, look at the, the birds. They don't do much, but they can find food, and they don't think about it. Bird, I don't obviously think, look at the birds. Price loves to bird watch, and we, we've gone to the Everglades in different places and try to, to see birds, and we never go, you know, that bird just looks worried today. That's troubling to me. I, I'm going to pray for that bird because he just seems like he's got a lot on his mind. It doesn't happen. Birds just kind of go, and that's what Jesus says. And yet he says, if that's how God takes care of them, and you are more valuable than they, how much more, we might say, is he going to make sure that we're having our needs met? He goes on in the next verse and says this. Who of you, by worrying, this is a great question, isn't it? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Now, you might have a translation that says add a single cubit to your stature, which is an interesting thing. A cubit is about 18 inches. And so more of the modern translations take this a single moment to his life because realistically, I mean, I've seen these contraptions where you hang upside down and you realign your spine and you're, you're supposed to grow, but I've never seen promises you're going to grow 18 inches. That's, that's a, a remarkable amount of growth for somebody that's, that's grown. Uh, so, so the idea here is how, how many of you, by, by worrying add to your life in this case a cubit to your height or or just a single hour a single minute isn't that the case worrying here's what you need to know worrying adds nothing to your life it only takes away it takes away your energy for the moment and it can take away your hope for the future now look i can worry i'm a good worrier if there was a degree in worry i could get that i am i'm going to look at the worst case scenario in anything like, for instance, I think it was just yesterday. Yeah, we were traveling um, to Fort Myers with, with mom, Denise, and I over there for a, for a funeral for someone that, that was at a church over there anyway. And so Denise is texting Caroline back at home. Somebody was going to swing by the house and do something and whatever. And, you know, it's wonderful on your iPhone because she has an iPhone too. You can just see exactly the status of your message, right? You can see the time that you sent it. You can see a little thing comes up under it and says delivered. And then there's that little notice that'll come up and says read and give you the exact time. Did you know that? It's, it's, it's bad for a worrisome person to have that. <laughs> it is bad. Because you look and you're like, well, it was delivered. What's going on? Why hasn't she read it? Why hasn't she replied? We've been gone since early. She was asleep when we left. Has someone broke in the house? <laughs> is it on fire? Is there a problem? I mean, suddenly, and it's been like 30 seconds. Because we expect that sort of, in our world, immediate response. Naturally, nothing was wrong. But we spent a few minutes. In fact, I think the text back to her was, you're worrying me, I haven't heard from you. And it was literally like two minutes. I mean, li I'm using literally, literally this time. For real, literally, not like the fake literally that a lot of people use. For real, literally, two minutes, and we're already worried. You know, what did that add? Nothing. In fact, it can't add a single hour to your life, but doctors will say it might take a few off the end if you worry too much. Worry cannot add to your life, and yet we spend a lot of time and energy worrying. Jesus goes on and, and, and says in the next verse, um, kind of another picture for us to think about. 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And even Solomon, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Or how about the grasses of the field? Let's just keep looking at pictures in the next verse. I think it's the next verse. Is that If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, the picture there, obviously, of these grasses, a lot of them would bloom for a day, and they were gorgeous. They were splendid. I, I went to England years ago, and what I remember was spring in England. We went from January to May, and we landed in England, this Florida boy that was in school in West Palm Beach with other people from West Palm at, I think, one of the worst snowstorms they've ever had. And we landed and took the train into London, snow everywhere, it was freezing cold, it was horrible, it was awful, and people, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever been to those kind of northern climates where there's a lot of snow, it's beautiful when it first falls, and then it's nasty, like a day later. You get into the city and the cars and going and the dirt and the dust, it's just ugly and it's everywhere. And it's wet. And I didn't know snow was wet. Did you know that? First time I was in snow, I learned snow is actually wet. Went skiing in jeans. I scotch guarded them. It was going to be fine. That doesn't work. Snow is wet. And it was, it was just, uh, and, and, there's, and the, the days in England, because it's so far north, are very short. I mean, by, by 4, 4.30, the sun's down. It's getting dark. You get on the train to go back to the, the dorm where we stayed or the Y where we stayed, the hostel, I guess is what it was called, where we stayed. And, you know, the sun's already down. You get off the train, you come out of the subway, the tube stop, and it's black outside. And, you know, it's just, huh, Florida, sunshine, beautiful blue skies in February, and, and this is what we're at. And, and then spring hits. And the way you know it's spring is in the parks, flowers just pop up. I, on, like, I didn't know there were flowers there. It was just snow or brown nasty grass for a while and all of a sudden there's flowers everywhere and it's by by florida standards it's still freezing it was like not even 60 degrees yet that's sweater weather isn't it <laughs> and they're like in shorts with no shirts running around in the park the guys playing frisbee I'm like you guys are crazy of course the next day it was cold again the, the flowers were gone but for that brief moment the flowers were up beautiful and everybody was excited and then in this case what they would do with some of those flowers after they bloomed and died if you were cooking you would take them because this grass this these these greens would burn very fast and very hot so they would throw them into their cooking fires to to bring them kind of back to life in a hurry so this beautiful grasses of the field that 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 were arrayed in all their splendor even more so than solomon a day or two later is is ash in the bottom of your your cooking uh, kiln there, you know, nothing to them. And, and Jesus uses that example to say, look how incredibly beautiful they are. Why do you worry about clothes and food when God takes such good care in nature? You just have to look around. And, and he goes on and continues in the next verse, having called us those of little faith. So do not worry, just to reiterate, just in case you missed it the first time, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? goes on and says this, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. How many of you today would say, I know God knows what I need? Would raise your hand, say amen, do whatever you do in church world to say that. Right? I know God knows what I need. How many of you say, I know God is capable of meeting all my needs? Any amens, raise your hand, whatever we do here in church world? 
We say that. In fact, there's a verse, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And we sing it, and we say it, and we quote it, and we memorize it, and then we worry. Just in case we misunderstood, or maybe in his busyness with all the stuff in the world, God forgot about little old me. Look, your heavenly Father knows what you need. I think the reason we worry, I think... Maybe part of the thought behind this, particularly in our world, in our culture, um, we, we kind of have a formula for what will make us happy. And, and, and in many ways, it kind of goes like this. You need to pick the right career. You need to pick the right partner, spouse, husband or wife. You need to, to make plenty of money. And you need to be healthy you need to avoid problems, avoid pain, and avoid suffering, and then, ta-da, you're happy. Now, that sounds okay, doesn't it? Career that you love, making a lot of money in, a spouse, a husband or wife that you love, you don't have any problems, you don't have any pain, you don't have any suffering, What? planet does that exist on none of that stuff is realistic but we filter our lives through that and we if i'm going to be happy that's kind of what i need my career to be going well i need my relationships to be going well i need my financial life to be going well and i don't want any problems or trouble or pain anywhere then i'll be happy because we take the idea that happiness is about needs and having our needs met in fact there's a whole psychological thing the hierarchy of needs and there's some value in those things that that have been done but when we when we filter everything through that idea that the most important thing is these needs and these are some of them that he's just kind of gone through some of the basics jesus isn't talking about you know big stuff he's talking about food to eat and clothes to wear the basics and we think, if that's it, somehow that... Now, I'm, I'm not making light of those who have needs. There are people in our world that certainly have needs. And when you don't have anything to eat, and you haven't eaten for a while, and then you're in a country with a famine and starvation and all, I get it. That's, a different, that's kind of an emergency situation. So I'm not saying that that's it. But I am saying that sometimes we, in America, I'm looking around. I'm happy to say everybody today came clothed to church. Amen. Can I get a hallelujah on that one? And most of you look well-fed. You can take that for what it's worth. <laughs> Some weller than others, okay. So in this basic deal here, we're covered. And yet we still worry because somewhere there's that needs thing, that idea that I'm not sure. And, and even though we say, I believe this about God, and I believe he's going to do that, that's how it is. So, so Jesus, having set the stage, then we get to the verse I want us to camp out on. Having said all of that, having made the case using nature, and having confronted us with our tendency to worry about things, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, I learned it, maybe you did as well, uh, as a song. I'm not going to sing it for you, and all God's people said, amen, right? But... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I learned that all these things will be added unto you 
And I like that phrase, particularly because I want you to notice the difference here. Let's, let's use that. I should have put it up there. All these things will be added unto you. What did we learn earlier? What can worry add? Nothing. Worry cannot add. What does this verse say? God will add. See, worry only takes away, but God is able to add to your life. And so Jesus, in the end of this section, actually one more verse, he goes on and says, you know, basically, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And we know that kind of live one day at a time, sweet Jesus. I think that song is out there somewhere. Um, but, but he says in verse 33, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, notice a, a couple things about this. First of all, I want you to notice he doesn't say don't seek those other things. So he's not saying that you shouldn't think about eating and feeding your family. He's not saying you shouldn't think about the basic necessities of life. He's just saying where is that thought process in your list of priorities? He's saying don't think about or seek those things, and worry is just a way of seeking those things, first or primarily in your life so so notice that it's not that those things are bad it's not that you shouldn't worry about that no he's saying if you want those things that we think of making hap- making our lives happy or contented the real issue isn't your needs it's the issue of your priorities what are you seeking first and he says seek first the kingdom of god Why would he say that? Because you and I have already talked about it, and you and I both know that worry, that's a lot of energy that we expend, isn't it? And there's a lot to worry about in this world. All you have to do is turn on the news. I turned on the news this morning. And again, in our country, in in Milwaukee, there are riots. And there was a death yesterday that led to the events of last night. There's a lot to worry about in this world we can turn on the news we can look at the events in our world and it seems like just about every week there's something of this magnitude that grabs our attention and gets that's not the only thing have you noticed that when you're between the news programs that are telling you about these events in the world you might see an ad that goes like this did you take this pill if you did you can expect heart disease and liver dysfunction and digestive issues but call this number and we'll get you some money before you die. Right? Anybody else seen those thousands of commercials? It's a lot to worry about. Or maybe you're like me, you think, I'm going to self-diagnose. I have a couple of symptoms, so I'm going to go online. Used to be this, this uh, website. The first one I remember was WebMD. I know we have some medical professionals here. Uh, sorry. I've learned that no matter what my symptoms are, I have one of two things either the common cold or the deadliest cancer imaginable. There's no in-between on those websites. It's one or the other. And you can get worked up over that. And and that's what what I can do. That's what we do. We kind of allow, and that's a lot of energy, right? I use a lot of energy fretting about stuff, worrying about stuff, getting worked up over stuff. And I think what God is saying, he says, listen, what I want you to do is take that energy and direct it somewhere else. Instead of wasting all the energy, all the time, all the whatever you put into 
worry, take that same energy, and instead of wasting it, I want you to invest it in something very particular. I want you to invest it in my kingdom. Now, what is God's kingdom? Best definition I've heard. I don't remember where I heard it or read it. The kingdom of God is God's area of effective rule in your life. I kind of like that idea. And in my life, the size of God's kingdom, sometimes it grows and sometimes it shrinks. Sometimes I allow him to have more effective rule in my life. And sometimes I allow him to have less effective rule in my life. Sometimes I give him lots to take over and trust him with it. And other times I don't give him nothing because I got to make sure it works out okay. It's the kingdom of God. Think of it that way. Your effective rule in your life. And here's how I want to illustrate it to you. Um, one of the, uh, actually, I think I really got somebody sad the other day. We were talking about children going away to college. And this, um, this mom and dad were, uh, their, their daughter's entering her senior year this week. And I was talking to them, and, and they were like, yeah, we're really dreading it. And me and my typical encouraging pastor always said, yeah, it's the worst thing that can happen to you. It's horrible. <laughs> It is awful. You think it's bad, it's worse. <laughs> and the mom a minute later said, look, I can't talk to you anymore. I'm going to go away <laughs> and walked away. I'm like, oh, great that Pastor Pratt comes up beside me and says, he's right. It was horrible. It was okay with the boys, but when the girls left, it was awful. It was terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, that's your pastoral teams and the keys, right? Working together for the kingdom of God right there. Bringing peace. To the, the people there, no. I mean, you know, that, but that's hard when you're, when you're youngest, in, in this case, uh, goes away to college. That was no fun. But I remember last year, she came home on her birthday. She came home more than that, but I remember the weekend she came home on her birthday because she brought some friends with her. So that's, you know, it's kind of cool when you go to school and you live in the Keys, right? <laughs> yeah, let's go home with her. <laughs> sure, let's do that. So, so they come, we had a great time with them, and it was wonderful to have Caroline under the roof for the weekend and to meet some of her friends. We'd met them before, but, but to meet them kind of over that few days, and, and it was great. And we wanted to show them the best time we could. We wanted to, for these girls who maybe hadn't been in the Keys, take them to do the Keysy stuff that they could do. We took them fishing off one of the bridges down south. Of course, I caught the only fish, which is bad, but whatever. Should have given them the pole, but that's, you know, we took them, just took them to do things. We, we took them a... No, we made them conch fritters, which one of the girls who had never had them before said, I really like these fish balls. <laughs> so now conch fritters in our house are fish balls, for what it's worth. We had the best time with them. It was great. And the, the reason it was so good was because the daughter was home, and you're kind of enjoying that. And, and I thought about it. That's the hardest part. One of the hardest things for a dad who worries about his girl, worries about his kids, who kind of wants to take care of them, make sure they're safe when... I mean, she's only a couple hours away. I know two and a half to be exact, two hours and 42 minutes. Last time I drove it, 37 seconds, but what, who's counting? Um, and, and the like, she's just up there. It's not that far, but, but, but to have her under the, you know, that's tough because now she's on her own. She's making her own choices. Sometimes she's not asking me which choice she should make. She's just kind of doing stuff, and that's hard. But when she comes home, she's in the house. I feel better. It's like all is right with my world, and I see a lot of parents that understand that feeling, and, and I want to give you that picture because that's us entering under the kingdom of God. See, when she's home, if she were to ask me, Dad, why do you do all this stuff? Why do you cook my favorite meal? Why do you take us all these places? I'm like, I just want to. I just, I just want you to enjoy 
all that, that we can enjoy in these moments we have together. I think that's God looking down at our lives. You know, he's given us some freedom, and sometimes in that kingdom of God area, that effective rule in our lives, we kind of stray outside of us, and we're kind of doing our own thing and making our own choices, and God's like watching us make choices, not choices that honor Him, not choices He wants us to make, not choices that are going to work out ultimately for our best and our good. And that's hard, but he loves it when we kind of come back under that umbrella of his rule and his reign, his kingdom. What did Jesus teach us to pray just a chapter or so before? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to experience his rule and reign in our lives. He wants us to be kind of under that umbrella of his authority and his protection and his provision. That's what it means to seek first his kingdom, not because he's controlling not because he's trying to limit our life, because he wants, to, he wants us to enjoy all the things he as our creator, as the God of the universe has for us if we would just come under that arena of his kingdom. And when we do that, when we seek first his kingdom, when we put ourselves, when we align ourselves with him, when we come after him, I think the result is we get to experience all the blessings he has for us. See, it's not about having our needs met, that's making sure everything in our life lines up, that's the most important thing. No, we seek first His kingdom and allow His rule and reign. Because we just said a minute ago, we believe that God wants to supply all our needs. And we believe God loves us, and we believe God knows what's best. And so we seek first His kingdom. And it goes on and says, we seek first His righteousness. Think about what does it mean to seek the righteousness of God. I, I, I think about this book we have that we call the Bible. An incredible book. Um, a compilation of 66 different books in this one book. Written over a long period of time by a bunch of different people. From kings to just ordinary working-class fishermen, the whole gamut of experience, the whole gamut of perspective written, and, and this unifying theme. I mean, in fact, it, I'm, I'm more amazed the more I think about the, the arc of the story from Genesis to Revelation, the consistency of the things that, that show up time and time and time again in this book we call the Bible. And to seek the righteousness of God is, is to, to spend time in this book that God is, has used to reveal himself to us, to reveal his nature and his character. And we, we look at it, we read it, we meditate on it, we allow it to inform the values and the direction of our lives. And we then set out to live our lives according to those things that God has revealed to us in his word. And here's the best part about righteousness. Here's the greatest, most amazing thing about God's righteousness, to seek first his righteousness. It starts with bad news, and that's this. You can spend your entire life studying and memorizing the things in this book. You can know the details to the minutia and try to go about living them out, and you will fail. But that is not what God tells us his righteousness is about. Rather, he says to us, 
I've given you this book. I've revealed myself to you, and I've ultimately revealed myself in my son Jesus. And though you will fail, and though you have failed, when I look at you, when you place your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, I don't worry about your level of righteousness. I worry about his level of righteousness credited to your account. And how righteous was Jesus? Perfect. And when God looks at us, though we are sinners and though we have failed, we've been studying Leviticus on Wednesday night. We are tired of Leviticus on Wednesday night. I am tired of Leviticus on Wednesday night because it is like, Every week, just take a 50-pound rock and put it in the backpack and leave the room and try to do it, you know. I mean, it's like another, another load to bear every chapter, every verse. Ah, oh, it's, it's overwhelming. And then you get to the New Testament, you get Jesus who comes and says, I've taken upon myself the curse of that very law, like Leviticus and the other parts of the Old Testament, so that you can be credited with the very righteousness of God that I've lived out for you. To seek first the kingdom of God, his effective rule in my life. To seek his righteousness, yes, involves getting in this book, but it's getting to know the one whose righteousness counts on your behalf. And then trying to live out a life of gratitude for what he has done for you. See, that's a little different, in my mind, than trying to live up to all those things in that book. I've used the example before. I think it makes sense to me. hope it does to you. Let's say you were in a situation that was dangerous. Your life was at stake. Maybe you were, I don't know, let's pick a situation. You were in a burning building and stuck. And when you had lost hope and thought the end of your life had come, a firefighter, manages to break through the barriers between you and him, grab you, throw you over his shoulder, take you out of that building, and save your life. How many of you would ask, who was that masked man? You would want to know, right? I want to know. Maybe as you're in the hospital recovering, he might check on you. Might want to know, did that person that he risked his life for live and recover and I would guess I would feel like I could never repay that individual for what they did on my behalf and I would live the rest of my life in gratitude for them if I ever went to a restaurant and saw that guy there you know what I'd be doing hey give me his check I'll, I'll pay for that don't tell him no I'm just going to pay for it you know behind him in the line at the grocery store before he swipes his card I swipe mine you don't swipe anymore you shove it in there in the chipper I don't know how it works anyway you've been there Actually, sometimes you swipe and sometimes you put the chip in and nobody knows where or how. Because usually when I swipe, I'm supposed to chip and when I chip, I'm supposed to swipe. Anybody else? Don't you hate that part? It's like people make up your mind. Back, back to the firefighter. That was a real point. You know, you would be the rest of your life aware of who that person was and grateful. And that's what's happened in Scripture, that Jesus stepped in and saved your life redeemed you 
because of your faults and failings, because of the sin that all of us have committed, redeemed you. And so we just live the rest of our life not carrying this heavy load of, oh, God wants so much from me, but carrying the light and load of knowing God's done it for me and I'm just living out gratitude for what God has done on my behalf. I seek first his kingdom, his rule in my life, and his righteousness that's given to my account in spite of my failings. And notice, and all these things will be added to you as well. What are these things? I have to think they're the things that he's just covered and said, don't spend your energy and your time, your thoughts, worrying about. Don't go there and, and, and do all that stuff. And, and let me say, here's, here's what, how many of you would say, in my life, I would like more peace of mind, peace of heart? Anyone? These are easy. I'm not trying to trick you. How many of you would say, I wish I could just be more joyful. I just want to be more joyful. Life is hard, but I would just like to, a few people. How many of you think this world could use a little more kindness? A little more? How about, how many of you think there's a lot more kindness in this world? Yeah. Hey, there's a list in the Bible that's got all those on it. It's Galatians 5, called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience kindness, gentleness, I'm forgetting one, and self-control. <laughs> goodness? Did I say goodness? I'm going with goodness and self-control. If everybody lived those eight ways, would the world be a better place? Do you want those things in your life? Here's what this says. They are the fruit of the Spirit. So you don't have to pray for those things anymore. Isn't that good news? Okay, good. To one of you. See, we think, God, this is my favorite one. Everybody wants more patience. Who would like to be more patient? And, and we think, God, I need you to make me more patient. Right? And how does God try to make you more patient? You say, God, help me be more patient. And then he brings that person into your life that tries your patience, right? Don't pray that anymore. <laughs> don't. Just don't. Why? Here's what you should do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you or given to you as well. What are the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is the natural result of you seeking first God's kingdom, allowing God to rule in your life, and his righteousness, not trying to do it on your own, but trusting what he has done through Jesus for you. When you align yourself that way with the God who loved you enough to send Jesus, the natural outflow of your life will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. You don't have to try to build those characters in your life. You have to get in line and allow the Holy Spirit to have more control over your life, and then those things just happen naturally, as God works his character out through you. So don't pray for more patience. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't pray to be gentler or kinder. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the natural result will be those characters will begin to just appear in your life because God will be working in and through you in ways that you aren't naturally equipped to work. Because left to my own devices, 
I'm not always patient. I drove to West, or excuse me, Fort Myers yesterday. I communicated with other drivers in less than patient ways. Now, my mother-in-law was in the car, so don't get any ideas. You know, but there were a few of these. Like, that helps, right? You ever have somebody pull out in front of you and give them this? Because you're sure they're looking in the rearview mirror waiting for your reaction. Or they pull out in front of you and you do that and they don't respond and you pass them and you look like this, about the rear end of the person in front of you, but you want eye contact. Anyone, anyone, anyone. Don't do that no more. Pray, not for patience, but for God to have more of his spirit in control of your life, his effective rule and reign, his righteousness expressing itself through your life. And you will act in ways that will surprise you, not the way you're used to acting. Now, I said we're talking about worship. That's what we've been talking about for a while. And why do I think this is a matter of worship? Because as we said in verse, excuse me, week one, the issue of worship is what is kind of at the top of your priority list? What is it that you spend most of your time and energy and sometimes money and resources pursuing? That's the thing, whether you admit it or not, that you're worshiping. And so this verse is a verse about worship. It just reminds us there's only one that is worthy of worship. It's not a matter of your needs being met. It's a matter of priority in your life. And so you return God and his kingdom and his righteousness to the rightful place of priority in your life. You orient your life toward God as an act of worship. And the result is these other things that often consume your time and energy and resources are now up to God to take care of. He takes it on himself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. That's a pretty good deal if you ask me. Because I've tried the worry thing and I'm not any taller and I'm not going to live any longer. I've also tried the God thing, the seek his kingdom and his righteousness and he has at times miraculously come through in ways I didn't expect and didn't really even ask for, but was grateful when it happened. And I would expect if we took some time, there are a lot of people that have that kind of a story too. Why? Because God keeps his promises. We said we could trust him. We said he knows what we need and he can take care of it. So now the challenge is, living it out when we leave here because Monday's coming or for our students in the crowd Wednesday's coming let's pray together Heavenly Father I am so grateful for what you have done for us that you have done for me what I was powerless to do for myself. When you entered history, when you walked this earth 
and were tempted in every way as I am, as we are, and yet you were without sin. And when you willingly laid down your life on the cross, no one took it from you, you said, you willingly offered it. Demonstrating your great love for fallen humanity. And even when your disciples were certain that was the end and hope was lost, three days later you rose from the grave the first fruits of our resurrection who place our faith in you. The reminder of the victory that comes by faith. A reminder of the provision that comes, even miraculously, when we feel like there's no hope. Thank you that in those acts you have secured for us salvation. And that though there is this law with all of its burdens that only reminds us of how we are incapable of meeting its requirements, there is a God who took our place, who bore the penalty of sin, and who credits his perfect righteousness to our account when we turn to you in faith. God, today... I know that there are a lot of worries in this room. I know life is hard. And it may be some of the very things. It may be about the basic needs, food or, or clothing, the very real struggle that some people face week in and week out of providing for their family. It may be needs in, in our relationships with others. Relationships that are, are fractured or broken. I thank you that you're a God who can restore. There, there may be needs of health. People with different illnesses that are, are uncertain what tomorrow holds. Lord, I thank you that you are the great physician. And in all of those things, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what our struggle, no matter what our need, you ask us to seek first your kingdom, to seek first your righteousness, and allow you the energy that worry saps from us to be renewed and redirected. Lord, we come to this time of response in our service. And I pray that on the one hand, if there's someone who does not know you as Savior, who's never received the gift of forgiveness of sin that you offer, who has never turned to you in faith, admitting that they have failed, that they have sinned, in their life, that they're incapable of meeting your holy standards. But will today admit their need for a Savior who took their place and paid the penalty so that they could enjoy the blessings of eternity. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to turn to you in faith, 
I pray that today they would do that. Receiving your free gift of salvation. And Lord, for those of us who, who know you but still see your effective rule, your kingdom in our life sometimes shrink, may today we be encouraged in our faith to trust you provide in the ways that you promised. Lord, we give you now these moments. We give you ourselves. May you hear the cries of our heart. And may we be amazed at how you answer. I pray these things in Jesus' name.